Hi, I'm Connor Mann. Welcome to the first episode of the Slideways Podcast, where we cover grassroots dirt racing across the central region of Pennsylvania. So a little bit about me before we start the show. I race in the semi-late division at Hidden Valley Speedway in Clearfield, Pennsylvania. This is my first full season racing after two partial seasons of getting my feet wet. I have a Swartz Extreme chassis with a little baby power plant in it, and we do the best we can balling on a small team budget. I am a first-generation driver, and I'm really learning things as I go. I'm really grateful for the help other drivers in my class offer me. We really are like a family when we aren't competing out on the track. But not everyone gets to see that camaraderie. And that's why I set out on this podcasting journey as a way to bridge the gap between older generations of racing and younger generations looking further in and to get information out to the public for our fans that they might not get normally. So without further ado, let's set back, strap in, and start the episode. Welcome to the first episode of our podcast. Today I'm at Hidden Valley Speedway, which is the track I call home. And today we're honored to have Dan Savino, the owner and promoter of Hidden Valley Speedway, as our guest. Dan, welcome. Well, thank you, Connor. It's a privilege, all right, to be able to be here this evening, talking a little bit about the great sport of stock car racing and letting everybody know about the great storied history we have here in the little Clearfield County about racing. Right on. Uh, I just want to give a brief overview of how we're going to run this today. I have about eight to ten questions, most of which are from me as a racer uh, and, and just someone who's looking to get a little bit of information out of you. Uh, and a few write-ins from our community. And I'm going to turn the show over to you to talk to us about uh, 2023 and what's in store. Uh, you ready to go? I sure am. All right, let's get it. So before we get into this year... What can you tell me about your racing background as a driver into a promoter? All right, well, we're going to go back a little bit. You know, you're the young guy. I'm the old guy here, okay? Uh, basically, my stock car uh, racing experience started whenever I was six years old at the old house Dell Speedway back in 1958. My, uh, my uncle and aunt owned a gas station in Asheville, Pennsylvania, right there on good old Route 36 and not too far from 53. So at noontime, when the gas station closed up, my Aunt Berkey would say, time to go racing. And that's what we did. She had a lead foot. She had a big old Pontiac. And I'd be in the backseat. We'd hit those railroad tracks there in Asheville. And we'd be flying over them, going up to 53, and made the old trip down to good old Housedale. <laughs> and uh, it was an experience that I always, always enjoyed. And it's taken me to where I am today. Now, what was your first racing experience on a track well i've actually never raced stock car i've done some drag racing okay. at uh peterson memorial drag strip down in good old tipton pa down near del grosso's is that at the old airport down there yes yes it was so what made you want to make the jump from being behind the wheel uh to being in the tower and being a promoter well one of the great uh experiences i've had and been fortunate i've had uh i've been to a lot of different type of venues whether it be in Indianapolis, Eldora, out the highway from Knoxville, been every NASCAR track from Daytona to Michigan. Okay, so I've experienced a lot of different types of racing. And uh, there was a time that probably there for about seven, eight years, I was just mostly focused on uh, drag racing, going to a lot of you know, national events and local tracks, and I uh, really enjoyed it. And uh, then I kind of got away from that a little bit, and... Uh, Start going to more stock car uh, racing venues. In 2013, up at Dog Hollow, and I'm dating, predating myself here a little bit. Actually, I should back up a little bit and say, in 1998, Dog Hollow Speedway opened up. And from 1998 till 2013, if I missed more than five or six races up there, Friday night racing, I'd probably be exaggerating because I lived there. Got to know the owner up there pretty well. And, uh, they shut the track down in 2013. And so... Uh, I approached him, me and another individual, about uh, buying the Speedway. Well, at the time, he wasn't interested in uh, selling the Speedway, but he said he was interested in leasing it, and that's what we did. Prior to that, I tried to open up Evansburg Speedway, and any success there. We were about ready to go uh, open it up, and then some things changed at the very end with the town people and things of that nature, and so as they say, the rest is history. I, I opened up Dog Hollow in 2014, ran it through the middle of 2019. Left there and was off a little bit. I was taking care of my uh, my mother, who was 98 years old at the time. And uh, so I, I got away from it. 
But my mother passed away uh, there at 100 years of age. It freed me up a little bit, although I wish she was still here. But with that being said, uh, had an opportunity to uh, take over Marion Center. Well, we started, but then there were some issues in that, and left there, and then uh, this track here, the opportunity became available. Did a little research and all that, looked at some different things, and decided that it was within my budgetary uh, uh, purview that uh, I could do it. And the Lazier family and I, we come to terms. I bought everything off the Lazier family and um, buying the, uh, the ground facilities off of Joey Castanola that used to have the speedway here back whenever it was gamblers. So you made the, uh, the switch, per se, from drag racing to stock car racing. Was your interest always in dirt or was it just big motors in circles? Well, it's always been the speed, watching the, uh, the technology grow. Now, back up a little bit. The year was 1967. It was either 67 or 68. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I had a friend of mine that was uh, going up to the local grade here in Clearfield County, Clay Houston, and Bob Shope and her Frankhauser. And he'd be going up there. He traveled from Bellwood several times a week, going up there, just cleaning up, up the garage, hanging out. And this one day, he said to me, he said, hey, why don't you come up? So uh, I went along with him and got to meet Clayt, who was just an ultimate, ultimate human being. Loved that man. And got to meet uh, Bob Schoet, who and Irv Frankhauser, who to me at the time was just so far ahead uh, of everybody kind of in the area. Uh, got to enjoy a lot of great racing. Learned a lot back then. I'll tell you a real quick story. If you spoke to Irv Frankhauser today, he'd tell you, all right, that uh, my nickname was Wrong Way Dan. And uh, at Marion Center, we're uh, on the outside, and Clay had just went out and ran a heat race. And my friend Bill said, well, damn, whenever he comes in, we got to get this car jacked up and uh, change the gears. I said, okay. So he came in, got the car jacked up. And my friend Billy said, Dan, now I'm going to take that case off. Now you got to watch. That oil is going to be hot. Okay. And uh, he said, we're going to be changing gears. I said, all right. Well, come in, got the case off, and he hollered up with Irv for the gears. Irv hands down a plastic case, and there's some gears in there. So I put them on. Well, he hollered up, hey, you want to check this out? And so Irv looked down under the car and said, who's the dumb blah, blah, blah that put them gears in backwards? I said, that's me. And uh, so that name has stuck with me for all these years, wrong way down. But I learned from it, never do that again. But I had such a strong desire. I loved the dirt track racing, and that's what kind of really, really got me hooked early. I can relate the wrong way, Dan, because uh, obviously you've seen me out here, but everybody who listens has seen me out here. Not too often you see the 21 car facing the right way. <laughs> uh, but we keep the tires on the ground, so I guess that's a, that's a win for us. There you go. So this, this, gets into, this is more of a conversation question, and it's one of the harder ones to talk about, but it's going to answer a lot of questions for people out there. Uh, for you for, as a promoter and for us as drivers, um, it seems like there's a fine line between pleasing everybody at a racetrack while creating a fund that allows you to continue to improve the track and the experience. Um, how do you walk such a tight rope, uh, keeping racers happy, fans happy, and staff happy? Well, yeah, that's a great question, okay? I wish I had uh, you know, the magic bullet to answer that, but all I can tell you is this. If you try to make everybody happy, you're going to drive yourself crazy, all right? I've always had a guideline. And uh, I try to set up a format that kind of works, okay, for most people. Uh, but racing has a lot, a lot of different personalities. I've always said, whether you're the owner of the facility or whether you're the promoter, you got to be a glorified babysitter, you got to be a psychologist, and also a psychiatrist, because you're dealing with so many different personalities. And uh, a lot of things have changed in the racing world since uh, I've been involved. Back in the day, I can remember going to all the different tracks. And when you looked in the pits, the back gate always paid the purse. You averaged seven people per car. If you look at statistically today, especially in your grassroots tracks, places like Hidden Valley, Hummingbird, Marion Center, even the former Dog Hollow, Latrobe Speedway, all these tracks are now you average three people per car, okay? Which has caused a major problem uh, for grassroots tracks whenever it comes to... Uh, you know, the numbers, you know, money. 
So where where do you make changes? You have to do basically two or three things. Uh, one, you've heard that a thousand times, fans in the stands is what pays the bills. Uh, you have to have good sponsors. And you have to always be kind of on the cutting edge and looking on what we can do to keep the excitement in the racing program. Uh, but like I said, there's a lot of things that have changed uh, over the last 25, 30 years you know, of racing. I'm going to skip around on my questions here because you brought, bring up a good point about fans in the stands. And one of my goals, being a younger driver and a more technologically advanced driver compared to some, uh, is to bridge the gap between into a younger and more modern fan base, uh, whether that's through social media engagements, uh, playing, I, I play video games, I stream on Twitch, uh, iRacing and stuff, uh, going to different shows, car shows and stuff that are aimed at younger people to get, get, bring in people that are outside of the normal racing bubble. Do you have any plans or ideas uh, that we should expect to see to bring in people from, or to bring in the next generation of racers from a non-typical demographic? Yeah, I actually do. And I think uh, some of it's going to be implemented this year. Uh, the days of just running personally, in my opinion, of maybe for a grassroots tracks of running four classes is, is pretty difficult. Okay. You have to be diversified. Now, one of the big things, give me an example up here at Hidden Valley, when I took over, I said I wasn't going to run the Supers, all right, because the super late model racing has changed dramatically, okay, in the last five years, okay? So, when you look at the age demographics of the average super late model fan, the really late fan, it's going to be 50, or 50 and above, okay, because they're going with a lot of history. Now, when you look for that younger fan base, what are they really, really looking for? So what we're doing this year, we're bringing in the 270 micros. The 270 micros is a young demographic. We're bringing in 600 micros that will be racing here, okay, about 10 times this year. Uh, and then there's another class I'm bringing in that will be racing here uh, several times during the, the year. And that's with the, uh, the All-Star Legend Series. If you look at a lot of the Legend cars, there's a lot of youth running them. And uh, so it's something new. It's something different. And they really get these... Young kids, maybe kind of you know wanting to uh, you know try this here, uh, this great sport of ours. The other thing is that when you look at the go karts, uh, you know tracks out there, that's a it's kind of a feeding ground for the next step up. So uh, getting youth involved is critical to this sport. There's no doubt about it. I think Hidden Valley is the next step up for a go kart racer, uh, in both size wise and speed wise. Uh, we have a great short track here. It promotes some great door-to-door -door racing, um, and in those smaller cars, will it will seem like more of a speedway experience for them, but get them ready for that next jump up from uh, maybe quarter midget to a 270 to maybe a full-blown sprint car, 305, 360, or 410 someday. Um, so piggybacking off that, one of the things that's nice about those cars, the 270s and 600s, are, are they're cheaper to maintain and cheaper to build. Uh, and racing is becoming increasingly expensive and harder to get into for people. Uh, is there any talk amongst track owners and promoters to make uh, go back to more fair classes? Uh, an example being splitting up four cylinders into two different classes, like a strictly stock to a modified four cylinder, or returning the semi late uh, class late models to a tighter roll package, allowing it to be an easier stepping stone out of pure stocks. Well, there's a couple different ways of looking at that. If you talk to any racer uh, and you talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, they'll say racers are their own worst enemy. Everybody wants to go faster, okay? Everybody wants to be in that top five. And there's nothing wrong with having those type of aspirations. But here and again, cost-wise, it's extremely expensive. You know, back in the day, I'll just jump up to a super. You know, guys could put a good super motor together for $10,000. All right, not now. If you're going to be in a competitive, uh, you know, car, you better have at least a minimum $40,000, okay? And, uh, you know, yeah, you can go out there and run for less, but uh, it's a lot of money. But as you were saying, the lower classes there, uh, yes, that is where from a cost, nothing's cheap in racing, but from a right. cost-effective standpoint, when you look at the, uh, whether it be a four-cylinder, you know, their class, or, you know, a 270, uh, you know, a dwarf car, these are cars here that, are much more affordable and to get somebody there started in racing that would be the way as far as i think you know with the future 
uh, because I've seen it where guys try to get the third base before they're even out of the batter's box. It just doesn't work. Maybe there's a few out there, but for the most part, it doesn't work. And uh, I think from a foundational standpoint, you have to creep before you crawl and crawl before you walk. And, uh, and I've seen this over the years with some racers that started out in four-cylinder class. And I'll just give you a, a great example. John Lee, local racer. John Lee raced up at Dog Hollow Speedway whenever I had there in the uh, pure stock class. And now John Lee is one of the top supers in our area. Uh, John made it out to uh, Gateway this year, the Nationals out there, and represented the area, you know, quite well. So, I mean, that's a situation there where John did it, to me, the correct way. He worked his way up through. And, uh, and I think that's, that's some of the goals when I, when I see some of these tracks where they're doing, give me an example, up at Clinton County. Uh, uh, they've got a very good program up there for their micro sprints where they start out the 270s and then they feeds them into the 600s and the 600s up into 305 sprints. It's a great feeder system. And uh, that's one of the reasons why this year, uh, I know I might be jumping a little bit over all around. However, oh, that's fine. Yeah, we're doing a, a coalition here with uh, um, Clinton County Speedway and uh, with the 270s and the 600s and the Pro Stocks. Uh, Pro Stocks is something that I'll talk about a little bit later on. But here and again, the, when you look at the, if you go to a track like Clinton County, you'll see they're averaging like 22 to 24, 270s down there every week. You know, 600s are down a little bit, uh, but, you know, they, uh, they still get anywhere from 10 to 15 of them whenever, you know, they're running them. Uh, and that's, that's something there that I'm excited about because we're going to be doing a points fund, uh, you know, with them down there. So uh, I'm excited. They're excited. And I'm really looking forward to uh, bringing, the, uh, bringing them up here to a Hidden Valley. They ran here before years ago, uh, but now we're bringing them back on a full-time basis. So I'm excited about that. All right. I got two, well, two and a half more here for you. Um, they kind of jump around. So we'll go with last year was your first year uh, promoting Hidden Valley. How do you think it went? And were there any obstacles that you faced were unforeseen and you feel like you were able to grow from them or make the best of them and, and learn? Well, one thing about it coming up here, the Hidden Valley, being the fact that, you know, I'm a newbie. Nobody knows me really, you know, up here and uh, coming into a whole different, you know, uh, territory. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a challenge, but we had some uh, great people up here working at Hidden Valley. Got some very good staff. And uh, I think I bonded with them pretty well. Uh, there's always issues, you know, that, uh, to deal with, but overall for my first year, I was very happy and, uh, there were some ups and there were some downs, uh, started this thing here basically, uh, on my own as far as, uh, you know, buying the track and all that, uh, but I had some great help. Uh, my son, uh, helped tremendously up here, getting things going on some of our goals. Cause I tell everybody, my whole thing up here is a five-year plan. I have everything laid out, things I want to be able to do. Last year, one of the things we wanted to do is uh, improve on the lighting in the pits, which we accomplished. Uh, my son's very talented whenever it comes to uh, that type of stuff. That's what he does for a living, and uh, he's able to accomplish that. The parking lot here was always a disaster, uh, extremely dark, unsafe. Now it's lit up like a Christmas tree, <laughs> okay? And uh, just uh, the other thing was that uh, I put a brand-new ticket office in. And uh, from a safety standpoint, uh, because the way things were done before, it was pretty dangerous in my opinion. Right. So uh, that was one of the, uh, the goals that, uh, you know, we were able to accomplish. And I was very, you know, happy about that. Okay. And the last question and a half, two and a, two questions are, are from other racers in the community. Um, one is, are we looking at any changes to surface this year? It kind of piggyback goes into... Uh, our plans for 2023, are, we, are there any changes in the track surface? Absolutely. Well, you know, last year, uh, the first things I did when I got there, I reclaimed the track. Right. Okay. Uh, wasn't able to get quite as much uh, on as I wanted to. Okay. Uh, but if you talk to the majority of the racers, well, they'll say this track is extremely smooth, multi-groove, and uh, there's some great racing, okay, with it. Uh, one of the issues up here that, uh, that I had to deal with is that we were blessed the fact that 
We had great weather last year. But with that being said, we have a pond here. We get all our water uh, as far as water in the track. It's natural fed as far as by Mother Nature. Right. If it doesn't rain, we got no water. And there was a seven-week period of time there that, that we had zero rain. And the pond basically dried up. So fortunately, 500 yards away on another person's property, there's a pond down there, and they left us uh, transport, you know, water. Uh, but it was difficult, very difficult. But uh, there, there, that took place probably for about two weeks, and it, it created a little bit of issues, especially on turns three and four. Uh, but we was able to work through that. Uh, I have a fantastic track prep, track prep man, Dan Bauman, who takes care of Lernerville, and uh, we and Billy uh, Quirkle. Uh, Billy's worked up here at Hidden Valley for years doing, uh, you know, track work and making sure things are all the way uh, they need to be for a good uh, performance. And uh, But now to answer your, the second part of that question is that, yes, we'll be putting a lot more clay here on the track, you know, for this year. Just waiting here for Mother Nature to, uh, uh, you know, cooperate a little bit. She, she's uh, been teasing us. Oh, yeah. She's been has. teasing us lately. Absolutely. But one of the other things that really I think is going to make the Lazier family, fantastic people. I have all the respect in the world for Rodney, Kathy, and Jen of reopening this year track, you know, uh, several years ago, having an idol there for a while. And uh, they worked their tails off getting this place going, you know. But one of the problems you have here is that there's really very limited equipment. Uh, when I took the track over, basically a greeter and a water truck. Well, that's okay, but you need other things. So recently I just purchased... Uh, aerator from Trailway Speedway. Uh, I purchased the uh, tire box roller from them, and I purchased scales. So these are all some of the things that we'll be implementing this year as far as uh, the two pieces of equipment that will really make a difference with track prep, and the scales are something that will get back operational because of the problems we had with the existing you know, scales here. Right. Uh, uh, so I better get some leads, what he's saying. And the other thing I want to you know, let you know, last year uh, – my son dug some temporary ditches because there's always been a problem on one and two. And uh, we got those ditches uh, working pretty decent. We was able to uh, divert the water coming off of one and two a lot better. Now, this year what we're going to be able to do, because we was finally we was able to find the line, the pipe, that goes underneath the track. So we was able to get that, get that opened up, and uh, it's working beautiful now as far as taking water off of the track. Uh, so once weather breaks here, the ditches will be all cleaned out. We'll, we'll rip wrap them and tie everything together uh, as far as, you know, to, to that line that goes under the track. Uh, next year, I'm going to do a few other different things as far as for drainage. But for this year, that's what we're going to work on. And then the, the last fan question, uh, driver question, before I turn it over to you and we get talking about what really matters, which is racing here in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. uh, are we expecting a banquet this year? Well, that's something there that I hope to be able to make an announcement here uh, within the next week to 10 days. The announcement, you know, I'm hoping that we can do it. If we do, it'll be, it's going to be, it'll be before race season. Uh, but, you know, it's like anything else. Uh, I spent a lot of money last year, okay, and uh, I was happy with the year. The community up here is fantastic. Like you had said something earlier, we got to get a lot more fans in the stands. Right. There's only so much money. And I come up into here that there was uh, very little sponsorship, uh, but we're working on that. And I was happy with what I was able to uh, get, but we're working on it more now. So uh, hopefully this year will even be a little bit better. What's important for everybody to li listening to remember is we're coming off of COVID, which is unforeseen in your time, obviously in my time, the, the things it's done to supply chains, um, tires, things it's done to parts and i honestly think it's responsible for a lot more people getting into cars and then also then creating more shortages right i bought my car on a whim during covid because i was bored I, I saw another local driver down the road had his car out washing it i said hey what's that and i went and bought it uh -huh. um it's just important to remember that we're coming off of some really unforeseen circumstances that are out of your control uh, we like to blame you as drivers because it's out of our control. So the first thing you do is blame someone else. But it, it really does seem like everything's up from here. Well, uh, I think every driver should take an edu educational course on what it costs to run a racetrack. 
It is unbelievable. Uh, and if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Uh, oh, Dan, Port does this. Port does that. Lernerville does this. Lernerville does that. I said, you know, you're absolutely right. Steve O'Neill is a very good friend of mine. Steve is the head promoter manager down at Port Royal. Okay? And uh, we talk occasionally. And, you know, it's funny. When you look at the demographics of Port Royal, within an hour and a half, two hours, you know, you got two and a half million people. Okay? Take Lernerville, Pittsburgh market, Tri- you know, Tri-City over there. All right? You got close to a million and a half people. It's a whole different ballgame. I can think of one particular sponsor at Lernerville that gives them 40 thousand dollars a year if that happened here you'd see one heck of a difference but you know it's uh that's just one of the things that it takes a tremendous amount of money and uh and i don't want to be crying all the time about money but that's just it it does when you stop to figure out what it costs in your insurance okay which is just astronomical uh compared to what i was paying several years ago up at uh, up at Dog Hollow, the whole insurance market has changed in the last five years. Uh, it used to be that uh, they come in, they check your facility out, and you would pay a weekly premium, okay, per race. If it if you had a certain time where you could call that race off, if Mother Nature didn't look good, doesn't work that way anymore. Okay, now when you're uh, after they come in, they do your evaluation and everything, you have to be able to pay a third of that policy right up front, all right? And then what they do, they amortize that, okay, over a period of weeks, and uh, it's a lot higher than what it used to be. But with that being said, that's just all upfront money. And uh, one thing we're a little fortunate here is that uh, we have uh, 120 parking spaces, so that gives you a lot of nice startup money here, okay, as far as to take care of a lot of these upfront, you know, their costs. But between that, you know, the, the electricity costs, uh, you know, up here, just everything that goes in to run the track, the maintenance and, uh, you know, all your workers. Uh, it, like I said, there's a list of about 20 things as far as to uh, take care of on a weekly basis. You know, uh, and I'm not going to bore people, you know, with that. But it, like I'm saying, it takes a lot. And uh, then the fact that, like I said, payouts. So, Dan, you know, can you increase the payout? Can you do this, do that? I say, yeah, that can be done. Get me more cars. Butts and Get seats. me more people. Okay. And, and that, for those listening, that's not an absurd way to put it. I, when I sell my sponsorship, granted, I'm a mid-pack racer. I'm not winning out, out here winning features. When I sell my sponsorships, I'm looking to cover the beginning of the year, rebuild, fuel, and the first four weeks of tires. That's it. You know, I'm, I'm out here racing for the rest. We, we, aren't, we as racers are doing very similar things. The money's tight, all the same. You know, the, one of the most popular sayings in racing is to become a millionaire racing, you start out a billionaire. But, um, but, but this this track for people who listen that haven't come here or haven't been here in a while, it's it's great door to door racing. It's it's what grass racing should be. It's not super speedway. You don't have Kyle Larson ripping the top line. You have guys elbows up, beating and banging respectfully. Uh, in, in what's always, there's not an, there's not a lap that is an action packed. Um, but that's, that's my spiel on the track, my questions. So now we're going to turn it over to Dan here and he's going to get us going on 2023 and I'm going to get goosebumps cause I'm ready to go. Well, Hey, thank you very much. I enjoyed the questions and, uh, I'll just back up a little bit. 2022, our goals were, uh, you know, better lighting, uh, getting the track reclaimed and a few other things, and, you know, we accomplished uh, everything that we basically kind of, you know, set out for. Now, what's the goals for 2023? Making little changes as far as in some classes. Uh, the other thing is that uh, one of my goals was getting some better, you know, track prep equipment, which we have now, uh, reclaim the track. And uh, last year, I didn't spend a lot of time down in the pits, all right? Uh, this year, that'll be different. I'll have a lady handle because last year I want to make sure there was no money issues or anything like that there at all and uh, make sure everything got, you know, taken care of. So I spent most of my time up here, you know, in my office. Uh, and things went pretty smoothly as far as that. Yeah, there's a few nights. It was uh, a little bit late getting payouts, uh, you know, they're out. But things happen. 
And uh, but for the most part, we uh, I thought we did pretty well. And uh, the other thing I'd like to try and really uh, uh, try and do this year is create the show as far as a little bit more efficiency. Now, there's always going to be certain things that happen, but uh, but the fact that we're running you know six classes, uh, you know here uh, we got the small block mollifieds, we've got the 358 simulates, we got the pure stocks, we got the 270 micros, the four cylinders, and uh, the uh, the pro stocks. Pro stocks is a class that uh, I'm hoping that grows. You know, I uh, I eliminated the Penn Ohio street stocks, and while we're here, I'm just going to put it right out there. Okay, <laughs> last year, whenever uh, I had the meeting, a lot of people say, hey, "Dan, don't eliminate the pro stocks or right, the uh, the Penn Ohio series." I said, "Well, guys, it's like this. Yeah, when you only have four or five cars, pretty hard to run a show." And it's a money-losing operation. I said, but here's what I'm going to do. You guys tell me you're going to have this many cars, that many cars, whatever. I'm going to give you four weeks to see what happens. So at the end of four weeks, I decided, you know what? I'm going to give them two more weeks because there was no growth. I gave them two more weeks. And uh, so basically what I, I gave the guys the option was I got three choices. Eliminate you completely, cut the pay, or run you every other week. And the general consensus was cut the pay. So that's what I did. Uh, the class never grew. The only time we had more cars here was whenever, like, maybe Hummingbird wasn't running or Marion Center wasn't running. So that class cost me a little over $5,000. But, you know, here's the whole thing I want to emphasize. I kept my word. Any racer that really knows me knows I keep my word, okay? Now, there's a lot of stuff goes out there in the racing community, all right, that uh, maybe I'm a hard ass. I don't think I'm a hard ass at all. But this is a business, okay? No one's feeding my wallet. It's mostly with me and some sponsors and money coming in, okay, from the track. And I had to make a conscientious decision uh, that uh, you're running that class, you got guys out there spending $25,000, dollars $35,000, you know, in that class, uh, which I have my own feelings about, but, you know, hey, everybody has their own uh, idea on that. Uh, I love old-style street stocks. And a lot of people have come up to me and said, Dan, bring back the old-style street stocks. Well, that is a, uh, that's easy to say, but it costs a lot of money, okay? So, uh, down at Clinton County, they run a pro stock class. Not a whole lot of difference between that and a pure stock. The Clinton County pro stocks down here basically have a 358 motor uh, combination, same as any other pure stocks, but they run a two-barrel. And a pure stock here, you're allowed to run rear weight jacks. There, you're allowed to have both front and rear rear you know, weight jacks. There's a couple of little other you know, odds and ends, but basically it's an affordable class, and uh, down here they're averaging 14 cars. Okay? They've had as many as 21. So we're going to bring them in here, and uh, we're going to see what, you know, what's going to happen. And uh, I'm hoping that the pure stock class you know, can grow also. I, mean, I know of three, three new pure stocks that are being built that are coming here, so that, that's a positive thing. Uh, and we'll, we'll see what happens between the two, you know, classes, you know, with them. Uh, the, uh, the 270s, as I touched on a little earlier, really excited about that. Uh, the 600s, been on a big show. Uh, got a couple cars from over in the Pittsburgh area that uh, have called me. They want to come here and run whenever the 600s are running. Uh, but I think that the fans who uh, maybe haven't seen too much about or watched the micros run, they're going to be really excited. But the other thing will be with the uh, uh, the uh, All-Star Legends. There's two other tracks that was running them. Because uh, the series is based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, they're running at uh, uh, Winchester and Natural Bridge. And they were looking for a third track to up here north to expand. And uh, I was recommended. And I got together with uh, the gentleman. This gentleman who's running this up here. Uh, Two cars he ran in the truck series with NASCAR. He's got a lot of NASCAR experience. So uh, I'm looking forward to that because, like I say, he has a lot of experience, and we're looking at uh, some exciting things all down the road. Uh, I've brought them in for my Halloween Madness race at the end of the year. It's a two-day deal. And uh, that'll be a regional event. And in, last year when they, they did at Winchester, they had 128 cars. So uh, that's one of my goals, okay? Uh, that'll be exciting whenever uh, they come because they put on one heck of a show. 
They're powered by 1,200 and 1,250cc, uh, you know, motorcycle engine. These cars are light, and they fly. And a track like this here at Hidden Valley is just right up their alley. Oh, yeah. I've, I've seen them run down at East Bay Speedway mm-hmm. in Tampa, Florida, and they get it. And they're fun to watch. Both looking at them and the racing they provide are, are great, and, and they'll thrive on a small track like this. Oh, I think they will. And one of the other things uh, that I do want to mention is that uh, you know, when the track reopened up here, and that's what I said, I give Kathy and Rodney and the whole family big kudos, tremendous respect for them. Uh, but naturally, you know, in racing world, fans come up, Dan, you ought to do this, Dan, you ought to do that. Can you make this change? Make that change. And like I tell them, a lot of things can happen. If you want to happen sooner, get your checkbook out. <laughs> okay? And uh, But one of the things I am going to do is uh, one of the biggest complaints is the pit concessions. Okay? Of where they're located. People hate going up and down that hill. Well, I'm not sure if it will happen this year. It's one of my goals to get done, but I'll be uh, putting brand new concessions then, uh, you know, down in the pits. And uh, so that's that's one of the. Uh, now that would be that would there. be nifty. That's actually yeah. one of the things my wife wanted to to bring up was going to the take it because come racing with kids and kids in the pits. There's two places they want to be. That's the bathroom and the concessions. Right. right. Not nowhere around the car. Uh, and, and she walks up and down that. And her calves are burning. Yeah, well, like I'm saying, that's if I had to look at a percentage-wise, because I try to keep track of a lot of things. You know, I love doing numbers and statistics and that. And but probably 85% somewhere in that area, people want that concession down in the pits. So uh, you know, we're we're looking at it. And uh, the other thing I'm trying to do here, because infrastructure up here is critical. There's just a lot of things. The track is 30 years old, actually going on 31 years, and uh, there's a lot of things that need done. So we're looking at some electrical upgrades. Um, just from a safety standpoint, there's some things that have to be done. Uh, and it's all on our uh, our five-year plan. And hopefully come next year at this time, you know, we can be doing this podcast and we can be doing some updates on things that took place. And uh, then what's what I have planned for the third year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to get you on next year. I wouldn't mind a mid-season one just because. Absolutely. I, I want to go over those, those sprint cars when I see them. I've. It's been uh, on my mind getting out of a late model and into a, a uh-huh. micro just for the, the cost. Yeah. And light, it, I don't need a bigger truck. I can, you know, just take it easy a little bit. Plus, it was pretty stupid on my part to jump into a late model for my first car. I've been told plenty of times. But. Well, I mean, if you, if you don't mind there, uh, there, Connor, I'd also like to expand a little bit about on our schedule. Yeah, let's talk okay? about it. I mean, I think we have a very, very good schedule you know for uh, my second year here uh, got some great racing got some good specials as far as uh, uh, we just put the downloadable out here about a week or so ago but uh, you know this is super late model country up here and it's also modified country tremendous amount of history and uh, we're gonna have a, a national tour uh, racing here on July 1st with the uh, modified mafia tour uh, that's that's gonna be a big race uh, also, you have the, uh, as you can see in the background here, one of the greatest races in this area, unfortunately, and that's Sean Cheats McGarvey. He'll, uh, we'll have our uh, memorial for him here over Memorial Day weekend. Uh, the Mafia uh, Modified uh, Tour race will be on July 1st. Big fireworks show. We had a great fireworks show last year, bringing the same company back, uh, you know, for this year. Uh, we, uh, we're going to have a show in August. It's called the Rumble in the Valley. Last year was a one-day event, and uh, we put it together, you know, fairly quick, and we were happy with it. We had some drivers here from Missouri last year, uh, some from Delaware, Virginia. Well, this year it has just taken off unbelievable. I believe right now there's something like 14 states represented. We have over 70 vintage modifieds that have already pre-entered late models here. There'll be sportsmen. There'll be modifieds uh, in the modified, you know, their class. Uh, then there's going to be some stock. Uh, but we've got people from Texas, Florida, Missouri, uh, Delaware, Virginia, Ohio, New York. I mean, it, it's going to be a big, big show. So really happy and excited about that. Uh, and then there's also in the area, uh, Jim Kirkwood, Dingo as he's known, uh, has started the old school vintage uh, you know, racing series. 
Uh, and that's something we're really you know, excited about, where they'll have their first race up here on the weekend of uh, the Bud Garvey Car Show, which is always the last weekend, you know, there in July. And uh, I highly recommend to anybody that's never been to Bud Garvey's museum up, museum up in Osceola Mills to go. There is so much history there, it'll just blow your socks off and blame words. And plus the fact that you get a massive car show up there. They usually always have over 300 cars of all different types. Uh, it's just a great, great venue. And then from there, that day, we'll have our first race here that night with the, uh, the old school uh, vintage modifieds. Uh, the, uh, then there's a couple of memorials. We have the Jess Mayhew uh, uh, Memorial back this year. Uh, we have the Faye Lumadu Modified Memorial, you know, here. And, and just recently, I just made an announcement that we're going to have a, uh, the Marlin and Jean Lazier Memorial for four cylinders because they were very instrumental in whenever this track was built, uh, you know, 30 years ago. Uh, the one gentleman, he did a lot of the electrical work and stuff here. You know, Rodney and Randy, they did a lot of the excavating and all that. So it's just another way to uh, honor and show how much respect we have for the, the uh, Lazier family and what they've given to this, you know, this community. Uh, because this track has had, I mean, it's, it's had some of its ups and downs. You know, it opened up in 1992 and uh, you know, ran for many years under Randy and Rodney. And then uh, back around, I think it was somewhere around 2003, uh, Joey Castanola, uh, you know, he got the track, ran it for a couple of years, and it was called Gamblers. Uh, and then from there, there was another gentleman, uh, I believe the name of uh, Dick uh, uh, Dello. He ran maybe for a year or so. And, uh, and then I think around 2012, Jeff Taylor came in uh, and changed the name of the track. It was called uh, AMP, American Motorsports Park. He had it for a couple of years. And uh, then it sat vacant for a while. And then the uh, Lazeers reopened the track up uh, there in uh, uh, 2019. Uh, leased it off of, uh, you know, Joey. Because uh, Joey owns the facility. Okay, here, which I'm buying from. And uh, he, they did it for three years, and it's a lot of work. And Randy and Kathy and all them, they're not getting any younger. And uh, that's why they just decided that it was more work than what they wanted to, you know, get uh, involved with, you know, week in and week out, because they've other things that they wouldn't be able to do in their life. So uh, with that being said, uh, I purchased it, and here we are. Here we are, having yep. a podcast in, the, in your office overlooking the track. Uh, a view I don't get to see too often. Like I said, I'm usually facing backwards in turn four. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it It really is a great track. Yes, it is. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, I mean, I'm excited. You know, I travel uh, 68 miles about every day, up 68 miles back to Dalton. Stay over occasionally in that there. Uh, but, uh they can make some changes about that, so I'm not traveling as much, you know, here uh, once the season gets going. But with that being said, I'm excited. We just need some other nature to, uh, uh, you know, cooperate. We get a few things here ready. Uh, our first test in tune is uh, April the 15th. Then we have our second test in tune, uh, the 22nd. Then we're open up for the race called the Springtime Spectacular. Now, this is a non-points race. I know some tracks have a different philosophy than what I do, but that's okay. Uh, if we were all cookie cutter, you know, when, when, yeah, absolutely. I don't believe, myself personally, that you ever should put a, uh, a race venue on the first race and have points. Uh, guys work hard, they get out there, and they can have some problems, or maybe they're not ready, then they get behind, okay? Where the springtime spectacular will be a race, I think it will be eight classes here. We'll start earlier, you know, that day. Just for all the different classes I want to be represented here, that are going to race at Hidden Valley. And uh, that way they get a chance to go out and race, uh, shake their cars down. And if they have to make any adjustments here or there, they've got that week to do it. So to come the following week, they're ready to go. They're ready. Okay, that's when point starts. And it, it'll be nice just, you know, you might have that one driver, those two drivers that say, ah, am I going to race here this year or am I going to travel somewhere new? And this being somewhere new, they might come here, try it out that Saturday, and well, they're going to fall in love with it. They don't really have a choice. Yeah. Well, if things go the way we plan i think that uh some of these new guys once they get on this year track uh i think they're going to really like the you know the fact that it's a uh, pretty well maintained you know track very smooth very racy and uh 
hopefully there's a few things that we can do uh, at the track uh, that will be an improvement over last year. Uh, because we've had some very good racers up here that have raced here for years, and it was very nice to get a compliment that basically said that, hey, the track was good in the past, but they've never raced on a track here that smooth and that bitey. Uh, and I'll be the first to say, uh, the clay, it's not bad. It's not what I want. But to reclay this track, that really, with the type of clay that I want, okay, is going to be big dollars. So I have to you know, work with what I have. And uh, we got through last year pretty well, and I think we'll be fine, you know, this year also. Yeah, I think, I mean, my only gripe, like, I don't know my, from a hole in the wall here, uh, last year was dust, and, you know, I don't, you don't look like Mother Nature to me here as I'm sitting across from you. It's nothing, you can't control the rain, and if we don't have the water in the pond, there's right. nothing we can do. Um, but even then, uh, the nights that the dust was bad, the racing was still good. Right. Um, well, here, here's one of the issues. When this track was built, turns three and four are different than one and two. Three and four, they got down so far, they hit nothing but solid rock, okay? And uh, it's pretty hard to be able to prep that because whenever you get so much rock right at the surface. And initially, like I said, we put about six inches of clay on, you know, there last year. And, you know, hey, it doesn't stay on here. And, uh, yeah, it's going to go. Uh, but then we put some more, you know, their clay on. But we, we changed a few things. Once we were able to get by those a uh, couple of weeks that were really tough and we couldn't get enough water on the track, then we made a few changes. And uh, it definitely made a difference, uh, you know, after that. Uh, I, uh, I think overall, when you look, on the consistency of the track for the whole season, the track was in pretty good shape. Okay? I've only ran one other track in my career. Um, it was a Friday night up Thunder Mountain two years ago now, and I've never felt a rough track. My ribs felt like I just fought Tyson Yeah, from my, my seat. Um, and no disrespect to Thunder Mountain. Right. It's just my, my what I am used to is a smooth track here, and it, it it's been smooth. Well, I also, I have the good fortune of uh, being in this here business uh, now for about uh, about nine years and promoting and that. Uh, I've made some very good friends with some, some top supers. And uh, last year we was able to rent the, uh, the track out, some of them, but they didn't run here because they're down east. And uh, they, uh, they fell in love with the track. They loved the smoothness of it, and no matter where it was, uh, whether they were down low, in the middle, you know, on the top, and uh, that's why I know we have something here. We just got to continue, you know, to fine tune it. And uh, I mean, when you have guys that have won big time championships, and some of the top tracks come up and say, "Hey, this is great, very smooth, love the bite, whatever you're doing, keep on doing it," you know, because the racers should really, really appreciate what they have here. And, uh, I mean, like I said, I've got a lot of respect for the racers here. Uh, and I think if, if we can continue to grow, uh, I, I think it'll be just fine. You know, I mean, there's, there's nights, like I said, that uh, it gets a little crazy. Some things happen. It's all in how you control your emotions. That's why I've always tried to tell people, take five minutes. Get that adrenaline out of your system. Just settle down, okay? We will handle it. Now, did we make some mistakes last year? Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. But uh, that is where uh, you know, we're going to continue to try and improve. Uh, but all I ever you know, ask of the people, if there's a problem, go through the proper channels. Handle it professionally. You've got a lot of people watching here. You've got young kids watching here. And uh, when you kind of lose your cool and go a little crazy, that's not really a good example to be showing, okay, to the fans you know, or to the young and upcoming uh, future year racers. Well, something I did want to, uh, I just noticed on here, something I did want to mention here, is that uh, yeah, we put together an ATV UTV race last year. We had a lot of requests for that towards the end of the season. And uh, I was very happy with the turnout. Well, this year we have three. So uh, that's something there that I know they're happy about, I'm happy about. And uh, so that's what I'm saying. There's a little bit of diversity uh, you know, here this year. And uh, uh, But here's the big thing. That's what I'm thinking. It could be made later on tonight, but if not tonight, it'll be definitely made over the weekend. Uh, 
they'll have a big announcement for something a lot of the fans have asked about for the weekend of June. I think it's 25th, 26th, the Firecracker weekend. Now, I will not be racing uh, any stock cars on that particular weekend. Uh, I have a lot of respect for, like I said, Lernerville and uh, my track prep man over there. So out of respect to them, we won't be doing anything that's going to be in competition, you know, there as far as for that. Plus, like I said, a lot of people love going to the Firecracker. So that, you know, that's fine. Uh, I uh, I love going over there, you know, also, but I also have a business here to run, and I have an opportunity to uh, bring something in here. And uh, so I can tell everybody, stay tuned, that uh, we'll be making that announcement. And I think a lot of people. Yeah, there's, there's a good happy. chance you already heard this announcement because this is going to come out Monday. So we're recording on a Friday. Maybe not. We'll see. I know nothing. I think I've pretty much covered everything. If there's any other questions you have or whatever. Oh, I'm chock full of questions, but you know, we, we'd I mean, sit here till the night's young. Oh, I'm sure we could. Uh-huh. And the only thing I will say this if I can. Absolutely. To any of our fans, to any of our racers, if you have any type of questions or anything like that, whether it's pertaining to racing, whether it's pertaining to the track, anything like that, I'm very open. Okay? You can reach me anytime. And, uh, yeah, it gets busy up here at times if I don't answer you right away, you know, that particular day, I'll get back in touch with you in 24 to 48 hours at the most because your input's very important to me. Uh, this track isn't about me. I love motorsports, okay, but uh, I want something that I can really uh, you know, bring to the community here, and uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a short-term person. I'm long-term. I want something that this place here, you know, can grow and be a real good asset you know, to this great area. All right. Well, Thank you, Dan, for joining me today on the first episode of the Slideways podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you, and from all of us at Connor Man Racing, we wish you the best this upcoming season, and of course, we'll be seeing you out there. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate being part of it, and who knows, maybe mid-season we can do another one. I'm fine with that. There we go, buddy. Thank you. Yes, sir. Okay, so we're back in the studio to recap the episode. Hope I was able to ask the questions that you as listeners wanted answers to. Dan was a great guest, and it was insightful to hear him not only talk about the history and running our track, but some of the history of local drivers and other venues. And if I'm being honest, and I'm just a new guy to the sport, I don't really think the 2022 season was ran that badly. So I, we, we really all need to continue to support the track and do our part to improve what we have. Dan is more than open to suggestions. If you come at them with a level head and a good foundation for your ideas, uh, we talk some things off about some things off the show, and when I have them back mid-season, I really think we're going to talk about those same things on air for y'all to hear. Um, even if you don't like this man, we as racers don't want to see him fail. Hidden Valley is a great short track venue, and there aren't many of its kind left. We don't want to lose it, so let's let this man cook, see what changes he can bring. As fans and competitors, let's be courteous and offer our opinions in a manner that we can make change for the racing community and still put on a hell of a show. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Feel free to offer any feedback to the show, and I look forward to talking to you all next week. And, of course, special thanks to my sponsors, Alpha HVAC, My Neighborhood Furniture, Thunder Tattoo Studio, and Swartz Extreme Race Cars.